You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Today's message is titled, Unexpected Gifts. Unexpected Gifts. We've talked about the unexpected king, his arrival, how the timing and everything caught everybody off guard. Last week, I preached from the passage about the shepherds coming to the manger. We called that unexpected guests. And this week, it's unexpected gifts. And I don't know about you, but I always feel like there's, like Christmas is always a good time for some of those unexpected gifts, right? Under the tree, there might be a couple of things that you are aware of, what they are. There are always a couple of things maybe you don't know what they are. And the the unexpected blessings are always the most fun. Those are always the most fun to give or to receive. And so this year, it could be like an unexpected gift for that new teenage driver, right? And that will blow them away. Or an unexpected book or an unexpected date or special time out on the town. Those are the things that you love. It could be those unexpected shoes that you've walked by with your wife a number of times. And you've made... Certain comments about, subtly or not so subtly, that you hope, Natalie, end up in a box under the tree. This, is, this would be a very unexpected blessing. Now I feel like I've, I've gathered the whole community behind this one. This is good. I might have found something new. There's awkward unexpected, too. You know those gifts where you open, you have no idea what they are, and you open, it's like the most awkward thing you've ever received in your entire life. I've gotten an Iowa State t-shirt before. When I opened, some Hawkeyes back there, when I opened it up, I kind of threw up in my mouth a little bit at the same time. Iowa State Cyclones, man, I love you Cyclones, but only because Jesus forces me to love you. I'll never forget when Natalie and I, we were, we were dating. It was early on in our relationship, but it was, it was getting pretty serious. So I decided to take her to a family Christmas. And it was like the big family Christmas. Both my grandparents were alive, all the uncles and aunts, all the cousins were there. And I wanted to bring Natalie to meet the family. And my grandparents are very generous people. They were very generous people. And so they wanted to make her feel like a part of the family. So they went all out for Natalie. And they, I mean, they loved her. They wanted to shower her with gifts. Actually, I think you had more gifts than I did, which like resurfaces all the middle child wounds that I have of being overlooked and forgotten, right? But she did. She had a whole bunch of gifts in front of her, and she was opening them. All eyes were on her. It was a really special thing. She was welcomed into the family, but I'll never forget the one gift she opened that just made her squirm. It was that awkward, unexpected. She opened it, and I swear there were like a hundred little scrunchies and barrettes in it. She was early 20s at the time, and these were designed for, like, five-year-old girls, right? I mean, every kind of animal you can imagine and every kind of hot pink, hot yellow, purple, I mean, purple unicorns, hot pink elephants, I mean, the whole bit, and she's just squirming as she pulls them out, like, what do I do? What's the face that says, thanks for thinking of me, but please, dear God, never buy these for me again? And that's a, fine, that's a fine line as you navigate. Well, it turns out my grandma, bless her, she accidentally switched up some names on the boxes. It was 
designed for my five-year-old girl cousin. She just accidentally wrote Natalie on it and forgot. But it was great. And honestly, I didn't rescue her. I just let her kind of squirm with all of the eyes on her. I wanted to see how she was going to react, if this thing was really going to work long-term or not. Um, and so I just let her open those time and time again. It was fascinating. Those are the awkward, unexpected. We've all had those moments where you get those awkward, unexpected gifts. Our passage for today is a lot less awkward, but it's equally, even more so, unexpected. It's a familiar passage for many of us when the wise men or the magi came and delivered their gifts to Jesus of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But when you really dig into it, you can see how unexpected this was. It had to have been ridiculously unexpected for Mary and Joseph. I mean, these were three sought-after items that carried significant value. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They could have been used or traded or sold or kept for years and years and years. We're not actually given any clues as to what the family did with them. We're just allowed to explore and imagine what they would have done with these gifts. And I kind of like that part of the scripture because the gifts aren't the main part of the story. They're in the story, they're a part of the story, but they're not the main element of the passage. And I like that. That's how it should be, right? So this morning, what I want to do is I want to read through parts of Matthew 2, read parts of this scripture, and then we're going to pull some points that I think will apply to all of us this morning. We're going to start in Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Scripture begins with this interesting uh, little tidbit of information that these men from the east have come to worship this newborn king. We'll talk a little bit more about them in a minute, but notice that on the front end, they're coming to worship the king who is already the king. He's not becoming the king. They didn't say, we're here to worship this newborn, to be, to becoming someday in the future king. No, they say, he's king, and we've come to worship him. Right from the onset, they understand that this newborn Jesus is king of the Jews, and they want to worship him. I want to skip this little interview between the, the wise men and the magi for another day. Skip down to verse 9 here and pick up with how the wise men continue to respond. After this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Like I said, if you've, if you've grown up in the church or if you've heard uh, the birth narrative of Jesus before, this is probably a familiar story. But if you're new to Jesus or new to the church or you've never read this story for yourself, you probably have the best eyes in the room to understand the unexpected nature of this. I mean, this had to have been an incredibly strange moment for Mary and Joseph, that these strangers from a distant land just showed up with treasure boxes full of gifts. They showed up to this newborn king, 
in a small but overlooked town, traveling from a far distance, and then they bowed down and worshipped him. I don't know if you've ever thought about this too, but there, there were probably more than just three people. I know that we've always assumed there were three wise men, but I would say that's because there's a really famous carol mixed with the fact that there's three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But would you travel any length of distance with that valuable of things with not without an entourage in that time of day? In all likelihood, they had an entourage that traveled from Babylon or the area around there all the way to Bethlehem to present these gifts. They were carrying incredibly valuable things. Yeah, it, it's not like they just had this gold tucked away in a small private pouch. I mean, maybe they had like, it was about the size of a little jewelry box or something, but more often the, the way you read it and the way you study it is, is that they were chests full of these valuables. An incredible, likely an incredible amount of wealth that they presented to this newborn king. It's very doubtful that they came with only three people from the Arabian area, from the Babylonian area, all the way to Bethlehem. The scripture says that they were chestfuls, right? This is an unexpected thing to read about, an unexpected twist and turn in the birth story of Jesus. Not only that, but there's, there's some unexpected cultural twists to this passage as well. If you think about the wise men or the magi, as, as some translations say, they're, they're not even Jewish, they didn't read the Old Testament like the rabbis did. They didn't practice the Jewish traditions, and yet they knew seemingly more about this newborn king of the Jews than many of his own people. This might seem a little Bible nerdy or geeky for you that I'm just getting lost in my thoughts, but this is incredibly important. It's incredibly important to recognize that these men are from a distant land, from a different culture, because from very early on, you see that Jesus is for all the nations. He's not just for a select group of people, but his, his reach and his influence and his kingdom will expand cultures, tribes, nations, tongues. It's a fascinating little element to this story. Now, if you do want to get a little nerdy with me, just for a moment, we could probably have a pretty spirited debate on whether or not you should include wise men in your personal nativity scene at home. We're going we're gonna to go there. So if you like really have this beloved nativity scene, then just be prepared because I feel a sense of justice and a little theological police in me coming out. It says that, that they came to a child, not a baby. It same, says they came to a home not to a manger. See, and so what happens in the pastor's mind when he's like reading these scriptures and he's studying in his office and he's getting ready to deliver a talk is that you think about all of these pieces. I don't know if you've ever thought about the chronology or the sequence of the birth narrative of Jesus, but it actually starts in Matthew. And then before you just go from Matthew 1 to Matthew 2, you have to actually go to Luke 2, but only the first 40 verses, because then after verse 40, it goes back to Matthew 2, and then you read a little bit more before you can read Luke 41 and so on. This is what we do. This is what we think about. And I hate to burst your little Christmas bubble and destroy that sweet little nativity scene that Grandma Betty gave to you, but they weren't there. They were en route. And so if you invite me over for dinner, I'm just giving you a forewarning. If you invite me over for dinner and I see this beautiful nativity scene, 
If like you get up to go get dessert or use the restroom and you come back and the wise men are gone, <laughs> I have been known to do this. I did not steal them. They're just somewhere else in your room pointed towards the manger. They're in route towards the manger. And at least eight days after his birth, you can then bring them fully into the, somewhat, the window that we have is eight days and two years. It's somewhere in that window. That's all we actually know from the scripture. This is unexpected, right? This is unexpected. And for the record, like, I don't, I don't really care if you have wise men in your nativity scene. You can have wise men in your nativity scene, but it's interesting to think about this. It's interesting to think about all the unexpected twists and turns, and then how even our culture has made us to read the scripture in one way, when actually you dig in, it says some different things. It's a wild passage. The whole birth narrative is filled with with fascination and unexpected turns. And so specifically for today, when we look into this text, we've got these wise men traveling from the east. They have these unexpected gifts. They come in an unexpected nature, and they have these unexpected responses to this newborn king. Look, me, look with me one more time at verse 2. I just want to read it one more time. Verse 2, where is the newborn king of the Jews? This is the wise men speaking to Herod. We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now we can talk about the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, and that would be a super interesting conversation, one that I would probably really enjoy. But ultimately, they came to worship. That's what it says right from the onset, that they came to worship the newborn king. A little bit later, it says they bowed down before the child and they worshiped him. Again, incredibly unexpected if you were Mary or Joseph. Here's the theological truth inside that verse. I love this. I want to point it out for all of us here from verse 2. It's that the revelation of Jesus as king and your worship, they grow together. Your revelation of Jesus as king and your worship to him as king, they grow together. They go hand in hand. The more you understand or experience or have room in your mind, or your heart, or your life for Jesus as king, the more you will respond in worship. Verse 2 says that they wanted to see the newborn king of the Jews because they wanted to worship him. And I mentioned it earlier, but it's worth repeating. They already knew he was the king. He wasn't the king to be. He wasn't becoming the king someday. He was born king of the Jews, and they came to worship. As revelation of Jesus, the king, increases in your life, so will your worship. And it just compels me to ask, if Jesus is your king, is Jesus your king? Have you invited him to be Lord of your life and, and king of your heart? Have you decided to follow him and to worship him and surrender everything that you have to this Jesus, the king? If you haven't already done that, I want to encourage you today to make that decision. Jesus is unlike any king you've ever heard of. He's, a, he's unlike any lord or leader you've ever experienced. He's unlike anyone you've ever encountered. Jesus, your king. His leadership is perfect. His kindness is unwavering. His forgiveness is complete. 
His forgiveness is complete. When you're forgiven by Jesus the King, there's no shred of shame or condemnation or sin left in your life. It says he separates you from your sin as far as the east is from the west. Is Jesus your king? Some of us need to make Jesus our king for the first time today. Others may need to rededicate our lives to Christ as our king today. Listen, you are never too late to make a decision for Jesus. You're never too far away to recommit your life to Jesus and start again. If that's you a little later in our service during our response time, if you're ready to make Jesus your king or rededicate your life to him, then I would invite you to to go back to our prayer team when we have our moment of ministry and response and, and to tell them out loud, I need to do this today. I need to make a decision to do this today. Making a decision is important. Living it out after that decision is incredibly important, but putting a stake in the ground and saying, no, today is the day I'm going to allow Jesus to be my king. Today is the day I'm going to recommit my life to Christ. It's important to make that decision. At the same time, for many of us in this room or those watching online, Jesus is already our king. But we're desperate for more revelation. And we need to stay desperate for more revelation. We need more understanding or insight as to what it means that Jesus is our king. You might remember last series, it was almost about two months ago now, we were working our way through the book of Ephesians. And when we were in the second message, I taught on Ephesians 1, 15 through 20, and I encourage you to to take the biblical prayers and just plagiarize them, to make the biblical prayers your prayers. And this passage in Ephesians 1, 15 to 20 is this beautiful prayer where Paul says he's crying out, he's praying, he's asking God for more revelation, for more insight, for more spiritual growth in the knowledge of God, more revelation of who God is, that he is king, king of your own life, king of every area of your life. Lord, let us pray. Let that be all of our prayers to grow in revelation, to grow in spiritual wisdom and insight so that we can have a greater understanding of who Jesus is. This is so incredibly important to our spiritual maturity and our spiritual journey because as we grow in revelation, it's tied to our worship. And then we find ourselves bowing down before God. And when we do that, our worship gets raised up. As we bow before the king, our worship gets higher and higher. This is the unexpected nature of the wise men traveling, that they came primarily to worship this newborn king, that revelation and worship go together. But there's even more in this text. We also learn from this text that worship and generosity go together. That worship and generosity go together go together. It is worship and revelation of Jesus as king. Those things go together. But of course, this passage also teaches us that worship and generosity go together. Look at verse 11 one more time. They entered the house. This is the wise men. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So they worshiped Jesus. They they bowed down before him. And then it says, then they opened their treasure chests of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Generosity and worship, these things go together. This is one of the reasons why at the vineyard we don't pass offering plates. We don't 
pass the buckets or whatever used to happen. We don't do that anymore. In fact, you've probably heard me say during our time of ministry and response many times, if you're prepared to give as an act of worship, you can do that now. And we say this almost 100% of the time because scripturally, and as we follow Jesus, we just see such a link between our worship of the king and our generosity to the king, that they go hand in hand. And I want you to, to see and wrestle with and understand the link between generosity and worship in this text, because clearly they belong in the same conversation. When you give and practice generosity, it's actually part of your worship. It's part of your worship. The Bible has a ton to say about money. Jesus talked about money with his disciples frequently. How it can work our, uh, its way into our hearts. How it can occupy too much real estate in our mind. How we can worry about money too often. And it's interesting because in this link between worship and money, the Bible basically kind of summarizes its stance by saying you're, you're either going to worship money or you're going to worship with money. But you can't have both. You'll either worship money or you'll worship with money. But you can't do both. What unexpected gifts can you give to Jesus this Christmas? Like the wise men, like the magi who came and brought these unexpected gifts. What unexpected gifts can you give to Jesus this Christmas? How can you link worship and generosity together in your own life? How can you cultivate a lifestyle of worship that's reflected in your generosity? Or you might be partnering with this church and, and beginning to give. And in the last month, we've probably had 15 families who've started for the very first time giving to this church. That's, a, that's incredible. That's incredible to see and to watch. And to those of you who are doing that, I want to say thank you, but I also want, I want to make sure that you see in this text that your generosity isn't just to this church, it's to the king. And it's tied to worship. It's tied to worship. It's tied to faith and obedience. It's tied to a whole bunch of other things in scripture. But clearly from this text, we also see that it's tied to worship. But I would be amiss if I didn't talk about the unexpected ways God might be moving in your heart and might be moving in your life in the next couple of weeks to give in unexpected ways this Christmas as well. I mean, this is going to sound crazy, but this is, this is like one of the front-end examples that I can imagine about giving in unexpected ways. God might actually move in some of you to, to give a car, to give a car. And the reason why that, that is an example in my mind is because ever since I've been on staff here, we've had a car donated to this church almost every single year. That it's, it's usually not a new car, right? It's usually someone who's like upgrading or purchasing a new car, but instead of trading in their old one that's kind of beat up or maybe missing a few parts, they donate it to the church, and we have a budget to fix it up. We've got a volunteer team who's incredible that knows all the inner workings of the car, and they get that thing up and running, and then we find a, a single mom or a family or an individual who needs transportation to get around, to get to their job, back and forth, to run errands, and we bless that person with a car. This could be you. It might not even be you in the next week or two, but it might just be an idea that God begins to speak to you about for the future. That's a big one, but it could be a lot smaller than that too, these unexpected ways that God might move. He might ask you to give an estranged family member a gift and begin reworking towards reconciliation between you 
and another. He might invite you to give a gift card to a neighbor or to offer free babysitting so that couple next to you can go on a date. I don't want to tell you exactly how God might speak to you, but I do want to encourage you to pray. Pray, God, how might you move in my heart in unexpected ways this Christmas season so that my generosity will be a reflection of my worship to you? My God might send you around the town blessing someone. God might rekindle a relationship. He might speak to you in big or in small, unexpected ways this Christmas. I'm going to close with this. When you, when you think about this passage here in Matthew 2, you think about the wise men and these unexpected gifts that they gave. And there's a lot of fascinating little pieces and nuances and theological conversations, some really nerdy ones that you let me pontificate about for a short time. But when you look at it from this unexpected king and unexpected guests and unexpected gifts kind of nature, you can really begin to see that we almost have a three-part journey in this text. We almost have a three-part journey to this text. First, it's Jesus as king. The revelation of Jesus as king. This is so important. This is the main thing. This is the main thing of the text, that Jesus is this newborn king And these men from a distant land had this revelation that Jesus is king, and they wanted to come and see him. Next, we have this idea of worship, that worship is the byproduct and the response of this newfound revelation that Jesus is king. And finally, then tacked on at the end is this extravagant generosity that, that yes, they knew him as the newborn king, they worshiped him in response, but then it says in verse 11, they opened their treasure boxes of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and all these things seem to work together. They seem to all go together, that Jesus is king. He's the object of our worship, and he's the recipient of all of our treasure. This is the unexpected king that we gather to worship. This is the unexpected king that deserves all of our praise, all of our glory, all of our love, all of our life. So how do you need to respond today? What kind of questions do you need to answer? Is Jesus your king? Will you worship him? And how can you grow generosity this Christmas as a reflection of that worship? Let's pray together.